We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. Um, man, those two songs, we were just singing about, I've, I see the evidence of your goodness and the goodness of God. And I'm going to tell you something. We're, we're t- doing part two tonight uh, of a, a sermon uh, that is titled, Faith to Overcome Offense. And you know, if you're just focused in on the goodness of God, you really won't even have to work at overcoming offense. Because your focus is on the Lord and not on yourself. And uh, one of the hardest parts about hearing about offense is, is to learn that you are the starring character in your own little movie there. And only you have some, the power to do anything about it. Um, I would just like to say that I, I am, man, I've, I've, I've done, God's done a work in my heart in this area. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be trying to teach it to you. And the good news is, when, once God does a work in your heart in this area, you only still have to try to overcome offense countless times in a single day. I mean, countless times in a single day for the rest of your life. And here's, I mean, that's just the truth of the matter because you're always going to have an opportunity to be offended. You know how I know it? Because Jesus said it. In Luke 17, 1, we're going to be, we'll be hitting on a few of the the verses and the the ideas that we talked about last week, but we're going to build on those things a little bit. But in Luke 17, uh, verse 1, it says, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, and he says, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him, that is despair and agony, I'm, th- I'm, I'm getting hee-haw in my head, <laughs> gloom, despair, but despair and agony, I just have this memory of Ben. I taught, it's not, not a good song, really, if you think about it. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. But I thought it was funny, and I taught it to my kids when they were little. And, and Ben thought it was dagony. Gloom, despair, and dagony on me. But, um, but, but really, the Bible says, despair and agony on you. If you are the one through whom those offenses come. Here's what I can tell you. People who walk in offense are not very fun people to be around. There's a lot of unrecognized despair and agony, gloom and doom, a lot of victimization among those who live in offense. The Bible, uh, Jesus goes on to say in verse 2, it'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. And, and, and we, we talked last week, little ones doesn't necessarily just mean children. It just means someone who's less mature in the faith than you are. So every time you walk in a fence, you run the risk of hurting someone in your circle who is less mature in the faith than you are. 
And, and you create confusion within the body of Christ. And, and God tells us that he is not the author of confusion. So if you're creating confusion, you're doing the devil's work for him. And that confusion is created when you say you're a Christian, you post all your stuff on Facebook saying you're a Christian and all your little memes that make you look like you're really spiritual, and then you get offended at every single thing that you can possibly get offended at. You create division and confusion within the body of Christ. And Jesus says, woe to you. And that was a heavy statement. Despair and agony to you for what you are doing. He says, Take heed to yourselves. This is verse 3. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And, and in other parts of the Bible, it tells us that it's 70 times 7. And the implication there is still, that doesn't mean 490. It's infinite times that you are to forgive someone who comes to you. Why? Because you are forgiven on an infinite level with God. And then in verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That looks like a very benign statement, but think about what was just said. There's no question about it. You're going to face opportunity to get offended all the time for the rest of your life. And he's telling the disciples this, and he says, and it's a big deal to me if you're the one that walks around bringing offense into a situation. And you can bring offense as the offender, or you can be, bring offense as the chronically offended. Wow. And so woe to you if you're the one that this comes through. It's a big deal to me is what Jesus is saying to them. And you know what the disciples said? They said, oh, Lord, you're going to have to increase our faith. If that's the expectation, you're going to have to increase our faith. Well, we are learning to live by faith. So how important is it that, that we have our faith increased? It's a big, big deal. Offense rises up in us. When we believe we've been wronged, when we believe we've been criticized in a, a manner that we didn't deserve, when we believe we've been mischaracterized, um, when we think we've been wrongly accused, or when we think someone has assigned motives to us uh, that, that, that we didn't have when we said or did something, um, anything that portrays us in a negative light, uh, we will often find offense trying to rise up within us. And the running dialogue in our heads, I don't know, do you all have, I have a running dialogue that goes in my head and it's, it is very annoying at times, quite frankly. Uh, but the running dialogue tells me, you poor thing, you are so innocent. You didn't mean to do that. You didn't actually do that. That's not what you were thinking when you said that. The, the running dialogue in my head says that. And, the, and then it also says, and who are they to think they could, could say that about you? And why do you, what gives them the right to say that about me or to, to think that about someone as, as wonderful and spiritual as I am? That's the running dialogue. If I'm just going to be honest with you, that's the running dialogue in my head. I bet I read my Bible more than they do. 
do you want me to be, to placate you with things that sound good or do you want me to be real? Because that's real. That's, that's what the enemy does. That's, those are the seeds that he's trying to plant in us. And, and, and so, so I, I, you know, when those seeds were tried to plant within me from a very young age, I watered those things because it felt good. It feels good to be offended. It feels good to, to feel like you are right and everybody else is wrong. And, and, and it, there's just something that feels right about being offended. But you know, when you sow seeds of offense and you water seeds of offense what do you reap you reap offense you're you're mad all the time someone's hurting your feelings all the time and and guess what my seed produced after its own kind you know genesis 1 tells us that will happen so my seed produced after its own kind and so my offense produced more offense and then, then it created more seeds, which, which produced more offense. Yeah. And I, you know who I drew to me? You know who I attracted? We're offended people. Because that's what we do. We don't run to someone who's going to say, you know, honestly, that was all your fault. We don't run to those people. We run to people who are going to go, oh, Melanie, yeah. Yeah. poor little Melanie. Yeah. That's who we run to. So my seed was producing after its own kind. And if someone would have walked up to me and said, you know what, you're actually highly offendable. I would have defended myself to the death. Why? Because I did, would never have believed that. Because, you know why? Because I was justified. I was really done wrong. You know, there are those people that are, they perceive that someone did them wrong. But no, not me. I was really done wrong. And you know, we talked about it last week, but there are perceived offenses and there are real offenses. The, 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 the expectation that God has of us is the same for both, so it doesn't really matter whether it's real or perceived. The, the expectation that God has for us is the same either way. It's to forgive and move on. Jesus said it's impossible that no offenses should come. And you're, so you're always going to have an opportunity to be offended. You will legitimately be wronged in this life. And let me just say this. You will have lots of times when you think you're legitimately wronged in this life and everyone around you knows that you weren't. You got to know. It's not everybody else that thinks they're offended when they should, shouldn't be. It's you too. It's me. We all have those moments. So I, I will say this, Dwayne Sheriff, I, I mentioned last week that I loved what he said when he was here at our uh, culture conference because he talked about how, you know, someone who, who came up to him and said, you offended me. And he said, I, I didn't offend you. You were offended when you walked in the door. All I did was reveal to you an area of offense. And that's really, I think, a majority of the time what happens you just get people who are just looking to be wronged expecting to be wronged and what I have found is every time I was expecting to be wronged people didn't let me down they they just won't 
But one of the things, and if you didn't get Dwayne Sheriff's book about offense, you should. I can't remember the exact title, but it's, it's good. But he talks about something that we do when we're offended. And I thought, you know, this is just, work. I'm not going to teach, break this down the way he does. And so you should read the book. But um, he talks about the three steps or stages of offense. And I'm just going to tell you what they are. Nursing, rehearsing, and dispersing. Now you think about that. Nursing, rehearsing, and dispersing. We get, we get hurt and we just, <gasps> and we just want someone to just, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then we want to go and we want to tell 50 people how we were wrong. So we rehearse that thing over and over again. And I don't know if you noticed, but as you tell the story, it gets tweaked. <laughs> and then lastly, in dispersing the offense, we cause people to borrow our offenses and take them on as their own. And then they're mad at the person who didn't do anything wrong to them. I mean, with, with, when you have children and they become adults, you have to, to learn how to listen and hear. I want to know the things in your life that are, are hard, but, but when, when they start expressing their frustrations with one another, I just have to be really careful because the next thing I know, I'll be mad at one of them over one of the other one's offenses. And I, they didn't do anything to me, and they're my children. I have to love them with an unconditional love that doesn't allow me to borrow one of the other kids' offenses when something happens between them. So how we respond to these inevitable opportunities for offense is, is really the most important thing. You've got to know that if you are holding on to something, if you are angry about something that uh, you've been hanging on to that for a while, if you constantly believe that someone's doing you wrong and that you're a victim, if your feelings are hurt all the time, hear these words and know that they are being spoken in love, you are offended. And, and even worse, you might be dealing with a spirit of offense in your life. And I, I, I mentioned that last week, you know, I mean, it has happened. I have done it, but some of us are walking the devil himself in the door with us when we come because we have received a spirit of offense. Yeah. And what, what I mean by that is that we are receiving the, 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 the feeling of satisfaction that you, 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 you have to fight, but we are accepting that spirit that, or that feeling of satisfaction that you get when you've been wrongly treated, at least in your own mind. Um, you, when you expect to be hurt or mistreated or cheated or abused or abandoned, you will be. And when you expect it, I have a feeling that you're dealing with a spirit of offense. That you are, I mean, you, are, you don't mean to, but you are allied with the devil himself. And you're creating confusion. You're creating chaos in your families, in your, your work circles, in your church. Wherever you go. Why? Because you are misrepresenting Christ, not on purpose, and, and there's no condemnation in, in my saying that. I'm just saying, I think we all want to represent Christ. 
And we don't see that as a misrepresentation of him. But you're never more like Christ than when you are forgiving someone who hurt you, who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That's when you're most like Christ. So people who walk in offense aren't terrible people. That's their thing. That's, that's the area of weakness. You know, we are all in, ensnared by, by our evil desires. And some of us, our evil desire is drugs. Some of us, our evil desire is food. Some of us, our evil desire is, you know, sticking things in our pocket in the grocery store and walking out the door with them. But some of us, our evil desire is that satisfaction that we feel when we get offended and we feel like we've been wronged. So there's not condemnation. I, I really plead with you to believe me when I say this. There's no condemnation if this is you, but you've got to know that you don't have to live like that anymore. The roots of offense are pride, selfishness, and unforgiveness. Now think about that. Pride and selfishness really could fall under pride, but pride and selfishness and unforgiveness. And no matter what story you're telling yourself to justify your offense... The truth is that your offense is rooted in your pride, in your selfishness, and in your unforgiveness. So unless you died for all of mankind and took the sins of the world upon yourself, for every single person who's ever lived and ever will live, then you do not have the right nor the privilege of holding on to offense. Offended people, I, I read this last week to you and I want to read it again. Offended people produce the fruit of hurt, anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, and hatred. And they leave a trail of insults, wounds, division, broken relationships, betrayal, and backsliding. But that offense, as negative as that fruit is, sometimes gets so ingrained in us and it becomes part of who we are that it becomes a part of our identity and we just become this victim. And, and here's what I can tell you. You'll never be what God's called you to be. You'll never live a, a, a satisfied life, a fulfilled life until you learn to let go of that offense. In Proverbs 18, uh, verse 19, it says, an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And it's really saying, if you like to talk about all the things that you're offended about, you're going to reap the consequences of someone who talks about all the things you're offended about. You know, I read a story to you last week, and it was about a, a, a it was when, you know, before the, the Americas were completely settled, and it's, it's just a story, it's not a real, a true story, but it was this wise man is, is on the edge of the, the town that he's in, and this group of pioneers comes up, and they, they say to him, hey, what kind of city, what kind of town is this? And he says, well, what kind of town was the one you came out of? And they say, oh, it was terrible. People just hurt each other and they were backbiters and they were rude and, and they didn't help each other. They didn't do the right thing and it was just a terrible place to live. And he goes, oh, well, this one's going to be the same. It's, it's the same. And so those people move on and then the next group comes up 
And they say, hey, what kind of town is this? And he says, well, what kind of town was the last one? Well, it was wonderful. People loved each other, and they helped each other. They supported each other in every way. And and the, the wise man says, well, this one will be the same. And they settled there, and they loved it. Here's what I can tell you. The way you leave, this was, Pastor and Michelle taught this to me years ago, but the way you leave one season of your life is the way you enter the next. The way you leave one job is the way you enter the next. The way you leave a church is the way you enter the next church. If you leave mad, you'll enter the next one mad. And you'll wonder why that church turns out to be just like the last one. You'll wonder why you're overlooked at this job just like you were at the last one. And it, it you'll never probably stop to ask yourself, what role do I play in that? And here's what I can tell you. You play the starring role in whether or not that has to be perpetuated in your life. Offended people can give you all the facts and information about why they have every right to be upset. And they can make a valid case against the person who's offended them every single time. Every single time. But guess what? Jesus could have made a valid case against me. Why he shouldn't have had to die. I was his enemy. And he had every, every bit of information that was necessary to convince God that I was no good and unworthy of the sacrifice. But he didn't do that. People falsely accused him. They hated him. They spat on him. They mocked him. They placed bets for his garments while he's hanging there dying in front of them. They beat him. They pierced him. And he had every bit of information that was necessary to make a great case, a winning case for why I wasn't worth it, why you weren't worth it. And Jesus's response to all of that was, Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. But I want your will to be done, not mine. He says, if this cup can't be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Why? Because he understood the difference between, in a relationship between knowing, the, the, the difference between knowing them in the way that, let's say, you know, I, I know the president in that I know who he is and I know some things about him. But I don't have a relationship with him. You know, when I go to the grocery store, I might see the same person over and over again. And I know them well enough to have a a, a short, brief conversation. But I I don't know them intimately. And, And God wanted to know us intimately so much so that he he loved us beyond his his willingness to hold that offense against us. In 1 Corinthians uh, 8, and if we start in the second half of verse 1, it says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. He's saying, I want to know you intimately 
through a loving relationship. Not, I don't need facts and information about you because that will condemn. I want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to love you. So you can have knowledge of God without walking in the love of God. And it's that lack of love that we have in our hearts that causes our hearts to become hardened and to justify our offenses. Jesus had a valid case against me. And on a lot of days, he still does. But he loves me. And his love is different than the kind of love that we often as Christians will walk in. But biblical love is sacrificial. Biblical love is dying to yourself. It's saying, I refuse to hold on to that offense. Jesus modeled that for us to the point of crucifying his own flesh. And Paul got a revelation of this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So we, we don't want to keep the law when it comes to ourselves, but we certainly want to keep track of whether or not someone else is keeping the law. But when we choose offense and when we choose unforgiveness, we are, it tells us right there, we're treating the grace of God as meaningless. See, if it's not for everyone, it's not for you. In Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 1, it tells us to be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and, and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here's what you got to know. Biblical love is not easy. Biblical love hurts sometimes. Biblical love is risky because you know what? The other person may never be sorry. And you don't get to the end of your, your I forgive them, I forgive them, find out they aren't sorry, and then go, oh, well, never mind. No, biblical love says it, they don't have to be sorry. They don't have to be sorry. So we're to be imitators of God, and God loves us no matter what. And God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So there should be no condemnation that we're trying to put on somebody else. And I want to talk about the four attributes of God that will help us as we seek to have the faith to overcome offense. Because when we, we look at these attributes of God and we recognize that we're to be imitators of God, I think it might give us a direction to head in in our effort to overcome offense. And I, I read those to you last week, but I want to read them to you again. Number one, God is love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He doesn't, it's not an action, not, not only an action that he is involved in, it's who he is. And what I know is this, you can't be angry and bitter and jealous and outraged and walk in love all at the same time. You can't be a victim and be grateful. And being a victim is someone when you are holding on to offense. So you've got to choose to love. 
And love forgives and love releases people. Love sacrifices what feels good for what is right. Love is the nature of God. And guess what? It's your new nature. You have that nature within you. And love always overpowers hate when you choose love. Now, don't hear me on this. I'm not talking about, you know, love always wins. That's not what I'm talking about. Because that's not talking about the kind of love, the godly love that we're talking about. I'm talking about a godly love, an obedient love, a love that recognizes God and his word as the parameters for the love that we have for one another. But biblical love is a sacrificial love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, I'm telling you, if you haven't memorized this, you need to. Because it is the perfect plumb line for you to hold your offense up against and say, is okay, am I forgiving here or am I not? Because it says, starting in verse 1, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Does anybody in here know someone that you would call a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? <laughs> yes. There's, there's a lot of them out there. Verse 2, if I had the gift of prophecy and I, if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Did you know you can do those things and not do it out of a loving heart? You can do it for the recognition. You can do it for just that feeling that you get for doing something good. And, and, and you can, can be very puffed up and, and, and not at all be in love. But here's, here's the plumb line. Love is patient and kind. Love isn't jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of wrongs. Just going to let that sit for a minute. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. It never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. They're not right now, by the way. Um, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. What are childish things? Being offended over every little thing that comes your way. That's one of the childish things that we need to put away. Because we got bigger fish to fry. We got a world of people going to hell and we're worried about what so-and-so said to us or didn't say to us or the way they looked at us or we need to put away childish things. Now, verse 12, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as not God knows 
now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I wanted to read that whole thing because I think we don't read that passage nearly enough. And if you, if you walk away from this and do nothing else, get that out. 1 Corinthians 13. It has 13 verses to it. You could read that every single day. It's one of the, the, the passages that I taught my children to be able to recite by heart because it's one of the most important things that you can uh, put into your own heart. Because you know what? If I'm not being patient, I'm not in love. If I'm not being kind, I'm not in love. Dwayne Sheriff says that kind, your kindness is, is, is a measure of your holiness. Because if you're not kind to people, don't try to convince everybody how spiritual and how holy you are. Because nobody's going to believe that coming from a rude and unkind person. Okay, so the number one thing was that God is love. That number two, God is light. In 1 John uh, verse, or chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So how do you walk in the light? we got to have fellowship with him. You can't, you can't have, you don't fellowship with God twice a week and expect to have an intimacy that is going to put you over the top when it comes to these offenses that will inevitably come. We've got to have fellowship with him, as verse 6 tells us too. We've got to not avoid people just because we've had an issue with them. I, there is nothing my children could ever do. They've made me as, I've made a fool out of myself acting the crazy over things they've made me mad about. But you couldn't, there's nothing they could do that would cause me to not love them anymore. And that's the way we should feel about one another. I mean, some of y'all, I'm sure, have gotten mad at each other and I've been mad at some of you but I, I love you. We're a family. So we've got to, we can't be avoiding each other. Uh, we can't only look for the people that we agree with and hang out with them. We hang out with family. When, when you go to, to, to Christmas at your, your family, hopefully you're not calling people up and saying, well, you're not invited and you're not invited. No, you hang out with them. You, you, you love each other through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's what we are supposed to do as Christians. Why? Because it's God's way and his way is best every single time. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5, it says, You are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Let me just say, a lot of bad things happen in the dark. I'm just being very honest with you. A lot of bad things happen in the dark. I can tell you this, that's when I brew and stew. 
I don't know if anybody else does that, but I brew and stew in the dark. And Satan uses that. He uses the nighttime for his purposes to muddy our thoughts. Let me give you just a thought that might help you. Go to bed. Go to bed. Quit sitting up with your phone in your hand, doing this through that social media, and go to bed. Get some sleep. Wake up with a clear head. And allow the Lord to do a work in your heart that allows you to then respond correctly to either real offenses or perceived offenses. But go to bed. Here's what I can tell you. Light always overpowers darkness. But you've got to choose to sleep in the darkness and operate in the light of day. And a lot of Christians are doing just the opposite. Luke 12 says that whatever you've said in the dark will be heard in the light. So choose to live in the light. God is light. And, and, and I'm talking about a legitimate don't, don't sit in the dark at night brewing and stewing. Go to bed. Let God ask the Lord to... to, to to steady you over the night. Ask the Lord to give you peace that causes you to wake up in the morning with a clear head. And he will do that for you. Number three, God is life. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. And in John 11, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if, if what's going on in your life it looks like destruction, then it's not God. And you know what? You might be playing a part in allowing that destruction. See, staying up at night is you're playing a part in allowing that destruction. Hanging out with only the people who are going to side with you and borrow your offenses is your part in allowing the enemy to bring destruction into your life. It do, it's not, it's not, doesn't have to be physical death. It's just death in the area of relationships with people that you ought to be having loving relationships with. Here's what I can tell you. God is life. And in, in the kingdom, life triumphs over death every single time. It triumphed over death a, after Jesus was crucified. It triumphed over death in you when you were born again. So choose life. How do you choose life? Ephesians 4, 31. Get rid of your bitterness, your rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You know what? It says get rid of it. It doesn't say pray to God and ask him to lift it all off of you. It tells you to do something. You've got to get rid of it. If you're talking about people all the time and you're gossiping about people all the time, stop it. If you are hurting people by assigning motives to them that they don't have, stop it. That's how you do it. That's how you, that's how you, you operate in life and not in death is you get rid of the stuff that brings death, that receives death. 
into your life. The last thing, God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews 12, 29, it says, for our God is a consuming fire. And in 1 Peter 1, 6, it says, be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Did you notice that it says it will bring you praise and glory and honor? See, when you stand before God, when when Jesus comes back, you will be honored for those times that you endured the trial, endured the suffering... And came out on the other side having forgiven, having walked in love, having been the light to the people around you. See, when you are tested in the fire, it reveals impurities. Isaiah said that we are purified in the furnace of affliction or suffering. And it feels that way sometimes. When someone's saying something bad about you, nobody likes that. It doesn't feel good. When someone's falsely accusing you, no one, I'm not standing up here trying to tell you it feels good. It feels awful. But you have a choice to make in those moments. And if you will allow yourself to forgive, then you will be purified. And all the junk will, will be burnt up in the fire and what's left is something that can be praised and honored. Last verse, Colossians 3, 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. I want to tell you what that means, make allowance for each other's faults. It actually means put up with each other. That's what it means, put up with each other. Guess what? Sometimes y'all just have to put up with me. And, and I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. But we got to put up with each other. That's just the way it is. When we love each other, that's what we're willing to do. So it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Not forgive only the ones who are really sorry. Or forgive the ones who, you know did something nice after they... No, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you have to forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from God rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Again, you can't be thankful and offended at the same time. You You can't be unforgiving and walking in love at the same time. So clothe yourself in these things. See, if we will cling to God and walk in his love, be his light, imitate his life, he will purify us, and we will come through with hearts that far more resemble his than they did at the beginning. And the offense and the opportunities for offense, we will look back and say, you know what? It was actually worth it to get to this place where the Father and I are in such unity with one another that I I can easily and quickly forgive and move on. 
thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.